Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 67, looking at Daredevil Season 2, episode 11, 380. Welcome back, Defenders, to This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 67, where we're going to be sitting here in the sun, chatting about Season 2, episode 11, of Daredevil. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I'm your final host for this week, Derek. Yes, a sunny day in Ireland. I know, yeah. it's so weird. And we're inside <laughs> podcasting. Uh-huh. I think yep. this is the epitome of people, go outside and podcast. <laughs> the yeah. light, I can't stand the light. That'd be way too echoey as well, way too loud, too many noises. So, we, so we're in a darkened room, uh, curtains closed, doors closed, <laughs> hoping to be able to get out for the afternoon in the sunshine. Yeah. But yeah. This is how Derek keeps me um, so that I don't watch Penny Dreadful or any of these uh, other shows. <laughs> Three more weeks, John. Three more weeks, and then you get back to your own shows. Yeah. Um, but you yes. can you can only watch your own stuff when we're finished everything else. Exactly. If anyone's listening, help me. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, I think we need to kick off with some of the big news uh, that came out this week. A bad I have week for absolutely Marvel. no idea what you're talking about. Please elaborate better. I know a big, a big bad week for Marvel after the uh, huge success of uh, of Civil War and obviously the success of the Netflix series. I think everybody thinks that Marvel is untouchable in terms of ratings on TV shows and that kind of stuff. But uh, two bits of bad news that came out this week that I think we should have a little moment to uh, to talk about. Uh, first off is the spinoff from Agents of Shield featuring Bobby Morse and uh, Hunter, her boyfriend or her husband. Um, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Marvel's Most Wanted was supposed to go into production uh, for ABC as the uh, third Marvel TV show uh, airing this fall uh, and unfortunately has not been picked up. So um, the characters of Hunter and Bobby have left Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Will they return uh, if there's now that their show has been cancelled? I'd say so. <laughs> uh, they, they did that big send-off in that wonderful episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they when they left. and uh, That's it, true. It was kind of closing down the fact that the agents wouldn't ever see them again. Um, so it's going to be pretty tough, difficult to get them back in. I'm really hoping. They were two of my favourite characters, and that's why I was so excited to see Marvel's Most Wanted. So I'm really hoping they're going to be able to write them back into next season. Yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, you wonder how that process works, where essentially they're leaving Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to what they think go on to a, a new show that probably, maybe in their own mind, could have been confirmed already yeah. in their heads. At least I thought it was a, a an absolute uh, runner. I thought this was going to happen. I certainly didn't expect this. Um, and now they find themselves essentially out of a job. I mean, acting is such a tough, tough trade, I Isn't think. It? Like, Isn't it? I mean, really, really strange uh, decision. Um, so, I yeah, it's a shame. As I say, especially for two of the most popular characters in the show when they were introduced last season. Mockingbird, obviously, is a, a comic book character. Uh, Hunter, a brand new character, but he really made a stamp on the show, really enjoyed his interaction with the characters, really that, that kind of funny Brit um, not willing to take any kind of instruction from his bosses. Uh, really enjoyed having him on the show, I must say. <laughs> I do love the funny Brits, obviously. I'm Sorry, I was just going to say you had him on the show. Hey! Uh-huh. Yay, I'm a funny Brit. Yeah. So John's going to spin off, do his own podcast about Penny Dreadful, and then we're going to cut him from this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the funny Brit. Mm-hmm. It'll be the funny Brit. That'll be the podcast. Does that make you Mockingbird? Um, makes yes. Him, or Hunter, probably more, more likely. No, no, Mockingbird, definitely. <laughs> I'm kind of, well, the only thing is to remember is they still damage ink that is up in the air now as well. 
Oh, Damage Control. Damage that's right. Control's the the, the half-hour comedy show from yeah. Marvel. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a pretty interesting one as well because DC are also doing their half-hour spin-off. Uh, Powerless. Uh, Powerless, that's right. Um, which si- sounds like a similar premise, except it's not based in the comics universe. There's apparently no car- no comic book characters in it. Um, so uh, it- interesting to see if ABC will make a decision on that. Um, I haven't heard anything at all during our, during the reports this week of the upfronts for the fall season. Um, so maybe Damage Control was always intended to be something for next year. Um, but definitely no mention of it in all the reports no, that and come that's, out. No, that's what got me kind of going, okay, so they've basically, they've renewed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yay. Oh, absolutely. That's Which quite a while right. ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. We've now then lost out on um, the, this Marvel's Most Wanted. Mm. So they'll either bring the characters back or they'll kill them off spectacularly. Yeah. They have to do something with them. They can't just leave them gone. Uh, I'm really hoping that, anyway. Uh, I have a feeling, and we know, actually, sorry, I know no spoilers for uh, who it is, but uh, we know we're going to lose one of the major characters this season. Um, as we get to the season finale, we're going to lose a major character. That's the second half of the season has all been building up to the death of a major character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So losing one plus... Uh, death Hunter in space. Bro- yeah, that's true. Yeah, but we, no, no, we never saw the people person die. That's true, but it's it's been confirmed that there will be one person going and we will see them die in the finale. So uh, so losing those... Losing Coulson! Those t- <laughs> it's, just, it's another one again. It's just like he's dead. He's not dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's kind of known who the person is that's going to go, but I'm definitely not going to spoil it for anybody. It's I like, haven't seen it, can't confirm it, but we kind of know who's going. It's like Lost in Space, but forever. That's right. That's right. But anyway, um, losing those two characters, Bobby and uh, and Hunter, plus one of the other major characters, would be a big hit for a show that's going into its fourth season. Um, it's very likely that we'll see we'll see Hunter and Bobby come back, maybe for the funeral of the character that's going to be lost, and then they come back and join shield potentially but anyway let's uh, let's skip on from that news on to the even sadder news particularly for our podcast uh, show that we've been covering for the last two years uh, agent carter all three of us have podcasted about that show and really really enjoyed it uh, unfortunately it's been confirmed by abc that they're not picking up the show for a season three um so so i think the first comment i saw about it on twitter which is probably the saddest comment i've seen they've made peggy carter die twice in a week um, no, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh there. Damn, that, that's quite funny. Pretty but it's bad. good. That's that's comedy timing. Oh, that was that was. Um, it is odd. definitely R.I.P. Peggy Carter and R.I.P. Agent Carter and R.I.P. Agent Carter on Defenders TV podcast as well. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, we talked about it uh, on our last podcast, which was recorded one hour before the, the announcement was made. Yeah, um, and we all had a discussion about it. We all wanted to see a season three. We all knew there Absolutely. was there was potential. I know Chris, you were a little bit less uh, positive that it was going to happen. No, I, mean, there I was, just said just. Um... There was no good news coming out over the last month. There was nothing giving any kind of indication that we would be getting a season three. So, um, so I can understand uh, where that where was. We were that was basically where, where my my head is. At. I I'm sad to see it go. I did enjoy the the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where they pro- the ratings did decline yeah. as the season went on. That's never a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and then additionally, what you had is. They did. They they basically in the movie told you how it ended. That's the thing. Unfortunately, it's yes. There's a large. There's a what like forty 60 years, years, sixty <laughs> to forty years of what happened in between. Mm-hmm. But um, I I'd say this came from also a part of like, well, they just killed her off in the movie. It's not like they're gonna keep her coming around. They're not gonna kind of try and pull her back. And then also, uh, Hayley Atwell has the other ABC show. 
conviction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great news for for Heli Atwell, and I think we mentioned it during the um, during the podcast that ABC were very much saying yes, she's lead on that show, but it doesn't preclude doing an eight episode series for um, for Agent Carter if they wanted to bring it back. There shouldn't have been any problem with bringing her back. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of movement. I think uh, Tara Butters and Michelle Fasekas, who are the showrunners for the show, also got a new show themselves as well. Um, that had happened uh, about three or four months ago. So again, being a showrunner for two different shows could have been quite difficult. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a sad moment, really, to, to lose um, Agent Carter uh, as, yeah, a, as a TV absolutely. show. absolutely. Um, there is a, a petition that started to get it moved on to Netflix because obviously all of these shows are produced by ABC. So exactly the same production company. Uh, Netflix would just be the distributor, just like they are for Daredevil and for, for all of the shows that we cover. Um, so that, I think that kicked off and got about 7,000 signatures in four hours. So, um, so at least there's some good, some. Yeah. Good push from the fan base. Uh, I know our listeners were over on our Facebook group um, have shared their thoughts about it as well. Um, so I'm just going to read a couple of those thoughts, if that's cool with you guys. Of course. Yeah. Um, so this is over on our Facebook page or Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Uh, Claire Laffer from the Defenders podcast, who did cover one of the episodes of Agent Carter with us. Um, she says, that sound is my heart breaking. Oh, poor Claire. Absolutely. Uh, Ronaldo says, yeah, it's real sad, especially since the last we saw of Peggy was her funeral too in Civil War. Makes for her adventures between end of season two and Civil War eerily silent. Absolutely. Like there was so much uh, more Cold War stuff that could have happened here with um, with Agent Carter, uh, but sadly, probably not uh, to be. Mm -hmm. uh, Preston J. Jarvis says, someone called Netflix. They know how to marvel. <laughs> well, that's true. It could be a lot more bloody. Absolutely, I hope not. I think Dotty. Think Dotty in the Marvel Netflix world. I oh. mean, she would be like uh, a. She would give the Punisher a run for his money. Very, very true. Uh, I'm kind of hopeful that that they keep this on board. One of the things I really loved about Agent Carter is that it does place itself firmly in the family orientated adventure show, which Agent of Shield has moved away from. I clearly wouldn't sit down with anybody under 18 for, for Daredevil at this stage. We'll talk about it later in the episode. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of like the idea that they may have a family drama kind of slash comedy um, side of the S.H.I.E.L.D. world. Uh, of Sorry, of the Marvel world. It's always the S.H.I.E.L.D. world to me. Um, but yeah, interesting. And Cale Hensley makes the same point that I did, which says, ironically, the Netflix shows still fall under the Marvel television umbrella. So it is the same people. Um, Dave Horrocks says terrible news. Very heartbroken about that. Uh, Woo Kim says, guys, do not count Miss Carter out yet. The nice thing about this show, one could pick it up a year from now on Netflix and it wouldn't miss a beat. I think I mentioned in last week's podcast that there is a possibility that you could do this show in a year's time, three years time, five years time and just pick up with uh, with Agent Carter and Jarvis in the 70s or in the 60s. You know, it's, it's a real possibility to have that whole breadth of history. We know Peggy was still an active member of S.H.I.E.L.D. right up until uh, until the 80s. Um, I'd love to see the bit that was kind of promised to us that we've missed in the first two seasons of Agent Carter is the development into S.H.I.E.L.D. from the SSR. We've never seen any of that uh, mentioned um, where the actual setup of S.H.I.E.L.D. is. We saw it in the little tease um, the one shot that was on the uh, the Blu-ray for Iron Man three, I think, um, we saw a little bit of the development of the creation of Shield by by Howard Stark, um, but it's never gotten to that point. Uh, I was kind of hoping that we get a little bit of the history of Shield, but that's a that's an option. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it'd be great to see Peggy Carter in picky nose collars and uh, 70s flirts. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, maybe moving into a nice old sort of leg warmers and uh, perm hairdo for the 80s. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one final way that Peggy could survive as uh, provided by Kale Hensley. He says, what we really need now is for Marvel to get the rights to Fantastic Four back. They need to set the first movie or two in the 60s and have her involved in those movies then have the Fantastic Four disappear for 50-plus years and mysteriously reappear in modern New York. Time gem, anyone? Oh, cool. Okay, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, there you go. I, I never thought about that. I'm like, okay. But that's the, uh, very cool. As of recording, they are talking about a second Fantastic Four with the same cast as Fantastic Four 1. That's right. Simon Kimberg, who was uh, the executive producer for all the X-Men um, movies, the new ones, the kind of rebooted version of the universe, uh, has said he'd really love to see a brighter, funnier Fantastic Four and totally admits exactly what we said on our podcast about the terrible Fantastic Four, that the big problem was it that they tried to make it dark and mm. didn't trust in the bright, funny elements of characters as fantastic as the fantastic four and they didn't trust in the comic book versions of those and tried to create a darker version of them that was the problem wasn't it there definitely wasn't the cast we all said the cast was fantastic in that movie yeah it wasn't the cast i don't even think it was the darkness i really liked that it was just that it was incoherent that's true true it it was the structure it was what seems to be pretty uh sort of ropey jumping around in the edits or I suppose what we were debating and, and thinking about was that it, it lost a huge um, chunk of the expositional storyline in, in the edit, whether it was from the studio or, or whether it was um, from the editor and the director. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for me, I, I actually really liked the darkness because I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of Fantastic Four. I love that it was going into sort of that um, disfigurement horror kind of side of things. I thought it was really good. Um, but I'm not a big Fantastic Four, so I have no particular allegiance to how these characters should um, should be portrayed, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But you can find that out, of course, on our um, podcast of Fantastic Four. Um, Fantastic, wasn't it? Fantastic. Um, I think it's in 1602 that they are the Fantastic fantastic yeah. um, for aren't they Neil Gaiman's world I'd love that one yeah absolutely that would be a great period piece oh, to, to see uh, turned into a movie um, I would love that mm-hmm. um, absolutely one of my favourite comic book authors so yeah but um, I think yeah you can find our thoughts on the Fantastic Four as well as any of the other um, MCU films as well as Agent Carter season one and two um, you can just go to Defenders TV Podcast forward slash iTunes or you can pick it up on any other good podcast catcher just search Defenders TV Podcast please subscribe, leave a review and our lovely um, funny British and funny Irish tones will uh, soothe your ear lobes. Absolutely, until we cut John from the podcast. Um, (laughs) Just one final note on this Uh, I'm going to be the bearer of probably bad news, I don't think Netflix are going to pick up Agent Carter Mm-hmm. I agree. Be- I uh, it's, it's not in the tone of what they have. They they have a sicker set of a universe that they're building in the Netflix universe of the MCU. The Netflix mm-hmm. they're building Hell's Kitchen, like literally. They're building that one kind of suburb where yep. that's very extra violent, where you won't probably. That's why we won't get crossover for a lot of the characters over to the the MCU kind of film side. Yep. Um, 
And then what? While I do agree with you, Chris. Yep. One thing I have learned about Netflix is they are totally unpredictable. They've they've talked True. specifically about things like looking for very niche shows just to keep that person with their subscription for the year uh, on board. So if the cost is right, you know what? They have deep pockets, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if we did see it picked up. But unfortunately, it is the first place people go when their shows have been cancelled. There were. Uh, I think ABC cancelled nine shows yeah. this week, including things like Castle, which is going great <laughs> seasons. Um, they they cancelled. That's because Nathan Fillion's going to work for uh, DC, or sorry, he's actually going to work for Marvel as well. He's going to be on Guardians of, Gal- yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah, I um, think but- Agent Carter should go to BBC. <laughs> I think it would actually work. Oh my god, that would now show. that I'd enjoy. BBC America can put it out, produce exactly. it. It would be very. Yep. Yeah, nope. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but I love the fact that instantly the the response from the fans has been huge. I think there's a very dedicated fan base to Agent Carter, and I count myself among them. I count our, ourselves among the the fan base. Absolutely, of Agent Carter. We really enjoyed the show, apart from some little misgivings towards the end of the season. I think overall, season two was equally as good as season one um and had some great moments in it and i'd love to see those characters back the fact that we may not see dotty ever again in uh, in any form of tv show or movie because she is specifically for agent carter and in that time period that's such a pity for me it's a, such a shame to lose that great character from uh, from the marvel cinematic universe as well as peggy and jarvis you know all the rest of them really really good uh, but a fond farewell to uh to agent carter i think with that it's time to get on to this episode of daredevil it is so, this episode of Daredevil Season 2, Episode 11, 380, was directed by Stephen Sergic, uh, one of the main directors on uh, on Daredevil for Season 1 and 2. Done a bunch of episodes. Uh, it was written by Mark Verhaden. Uh, we have mentioned him in the past. He was the writer of The Mask and Time Cop for us, uh, us sweet 80s and 90s movies fans. Uh, sweet, sweet, absolutely. sweet. And Love it. Time Cop. Love the maths. I know you do. I know you do. Uh, and he also wrote two episodes of Constantine, which I think we talked about last time. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us for this episode with your synopsis? Sure. After the attack on the hospital by the hand and the rescue of the children, strange scars on one of the d- dead ninjas leads to uncomfortable questions that the hospital board are not prepared to answer. As they cover up the events of the ninja assault, Claire Temple is compelled to quit Metro General. Also in Hell's Kitchen, Karen Page is concealing the truth from the police about her involvement with Frank Castle. As she starts to work with Frank to track down the mysterious blacksmith, she soon learns how different their agendas are and how ruthless the Punisher can truly be. Elsewhere, Daredevil finds himself collaborating with a very unexpected ally, as he too is set on the trail of uncovering the blacksmith. Sent on the path to Pier 81 and a ship containing a consignment of the blacksmith's heroine, the Punisher and Daredevil cross paths once again as the blacksmith's men arrive to deal with Frank Castle for one last time. In another part of town, the time is now right for the Hand's prophecy to be realised from the urn as the blood of the children will lead to resurrection and rebirth. Slicey wrists. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's eh? a creepy moment yeah. in this episode. Yeah, another episode with tons of stuff happening. Yes. In here. Completely. A lot, a lot, a a lot, lot. of stuff. Um, the way we cover our episodes, as always, is we take five points each about the episode. Some of them may cross over, but generally they are good, bad, maybe indifferent about the episode. And by talking through them, uh, we hope to cover all the points about the episode. Uh, Chris, do you want to kick us off with your first point about this episode? I'd love to. Um, so. Okay, this was a busy episode. 
with the hunt for the elusive blacksmith consuming both Daredevil and Punisher. But go with me on this. This is where I'm going down the rabbit hole a bit. Okay, okay. What if the man they're both searching for and the man every... The, what if the blacksmith is Stick? You've taken one of my points as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got sweet revenge. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners out there, we're actually not in the same room today, so this is even better. I didn't even <laughs> see his notes that I got it. Okay, we may be way off here, and this is the great way, because we podcast the way we do, we don't get to go on, um, but I feel that scene where he was sharpening the sword mm-hmm. with the black stiff wet zone, I was like, oh, oh, and they even made it black oil. I like that, that yeah. was yeah. like going, okay, come on, like, you're like, that was pouring it on. That would be nice fan service, it would be a nice idea. But then I actually, there's more to it than that. We have two episodes left now. Mm, the identity of the blacksmith cannot be just come from left and field and introduce a brand new character. Like, you can't really do that at this point in time. Unless we were right last week on that new character's bullseye. But then now bullseye has to become the blacksmith. Mm-hmm. That was one of the options okay, yeah. that we had on the table last week. Yeah. No, I was just thinking the gladiator. He's Marvin. Yeah, I know, I know he's not a blacksmith. I know he, but he works with metals and all this kind of stuff to to do all um, the the armor for Daredevil for Wilson Fisk's suits. You know, in his in in his uh, workshop, he has um, a load of other stuff around mm-hmm. there. It's not it's not like he's a tailor, is what I'm saying. Stiltman is the blacksmith. Yeah, no, I, I see where you're <laughs> Maybe going. Not, though. He, but his character in this show is a bit simple. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's unless true. it's an act. Okay, we could, this is where we go down the even more. It could be him. The yeah. whole thing could be an act. It was just one thing that just quickly came to mind when I was thinking blacksmiths, workshops, uh-huh. all this kind of like what you said with stick. Yeah. I thought mm, maybe it's the gladiator, um, Melvin. Because I certainly love these theories. I must say, I I, I I I think it has to be stick. It just because they kind of the the, way, the whetstone could be a good idea, but. They need someone who's going to tie the whole universe, the whole thread together, because that's mm. something we haven't got. True, true, and I, I, I get you. I think the one thing that th- that kind of threw me off the trail of that because I did think exactly that, especially when when he was sitting there. But the one thing that threw me off, and we, I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit later on. Sorry, but um, it's Madame Gaia's admission that the heroine that the blacksmith is bringing into New York is the purest she's ever seen. And I don't see that as being something that Stick would do. Even we're probably looking to see the leader of the hand being the blacksmith. I thought that's where that's where it was leading to. Uh, Stick is in opposition to the hand. It seems like it would be an odd decision. I'm kind of thinking who's in charge of Nobu is Nobu the blacksmith is the way I'm leaning towards. Okay, it could be, yeah. Abs- yeah. Oh, There's a whole it, yeah. range of stuff here, definitely. Yeah. Just because Nobu seems to be in charge, and again, it's he was resurrected, so I presume that decision isn't made lightly. Um, so was he re- resurrected as the protector of the leader of the hand, or is he the leader of the hand? I, I just don't know just yet. But weren't they all in cahoots together, the Yakuza in season one mm-hmm. with Nobu as the head, all, all the hand as they obviously didn't know they were the hand at the time? But with Madame Gao, all centered around Wilson Fisk. So, um, I wonder, would it make sense then that within the, there's people betraying one another? Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. Um, actually, just quickly, uh, this is just a little, uh, funny moment for me. Um, 
uh, talking of going down the rabbit hole, there is the moment where Stick is um, stood in his his sort of... um, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but I suppose training Dojo. room. Um, yeah, and he's he's got all of the weapons on the wall. Um, it looked like he had rabbit ears. Yeah. <laughs> There's two kind of hatchets sticking out of his head, um, and they look like rabbit ears. And I just thought Donnie Darko. Um, so, and even when he goes... Uh, <laughs> Even when he goes, I'm all ears, I'm going, yes, all you are. Ears. I think it happens twice towards the mm-hmm. end where it looks like he's got these kind of like floppy, uh, lethal rabbit ears made out of hatchet blades. Nice. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Talk about going down the rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, uh, that is the rabbit hole. John, do you want to take us away from the rabbit hole and give us your first point? Yeah, coming out of the rabbit hole, uh, back on uh, above uh, ground, is um, I love the two strong ladies um, in this episode, actually. Um, Claire Temple and Karen. Um, I actually really enjoyed them, and primarily for their confrontation of, of Matt. Um, and really just telling him to, quite frankly, shut up and yep. stop believing his own bullshit. Um, you know, you have Claire saying, you know, this, it's not your city anymore, where he's trying to always say, I have to do this. You know, she really lets him have it. Um, when he really just doesn't listen to her. And I, I love that, that she's had enough here. And I think on another side, just her sort of moral and ethical center in that she's not going to deal with any, of the bullshit of the hospital boards. You know, it just ties in nicely there. This is a really strong, focused woman here. Absolutely. Uh, and I loved how she really just confronts uh, Matt uh, after the attack and the aftermath uh, from the, the ninja assault, really. Um, I thought that was really good. Yeah, definitely. I love her line to him saying uh, the, the, the one the one thing about martyrs is that the best ones are all dead. Um, really nice little, you know, cutting... Uh, Matt down to size there about his his impression that he has to be the protector of the city. I think we talked about that about episode six or seven. We were getting to the point we were getting pretty sick of Matt saying, my uh, city. this is my city. Yeah. Uh, there's millions of people that live in that city. He can't protect them all, uh, but he feels he can. And it's a real nice thread from the previous episode from Claire Temple as well, where mm. she really confronts him on top of the hospital roof. So I really like this uh, from Claire. And I think then with Karen, and it all just adds to just the disintegrating relationships that Matt Murdock is having with everyone, yeah. mm-hmm. um, is Karen where she says, I'm not yours to protect. And it is, quite frankly, just a great line from her. It's like, will you stop trying to... Um, essentially treat me like a child. And I, I love this second sort of put down by another real focused, determined um, lady in, in this show to Matt. Um, he really, he really does get it. Um, and, um, you know, I don't want your help, she goes. Um, lying to the police is my problem, not yours. And, and you know, it's really just a great way of undermining Matt's own confidence. I mean, you, you you have him later on in this episode, which is a really big point where he talks, debates about crossing over the line from his code of not mm-hmm. killing mm-hmm. with the Punisher. You know, he is at a low ebb. All these kind of disintegrating uh, friendships that he, he used to have with Foggy, with both Karen and, uh, and Claire... All of them are are really sort of in trouble, uh, and it, he's becoming 
more isolated, he's becoming a loner like Frank Castle. And, and there's that moment aboard the ship where he is actually considering uh, and debating uh, that his way is not the right way. He's, yeah. he's desperate. And I, I love that these probably feed into that. But for me, that, that they were real highlights of this this episode. Yeah, what kind of stood out to me was when we talked about last week's episode, I think some of the feedback from David Wang about whether we'd be going into the Born Again arc where Wilson Fist takes apart the life of, of Matt Murdock. Uh, it's really interesting. It doesn't look like he's going to need any help from Fisk. <laughs> it's like one episode done. There you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, I know he's not costumed in the episode when he's speaking to Claire Temple, but she's speaking to him as Daredevil and criticizing the way that he's trying to protect the city. And then, as you mentioned, John, you have Karen criticizing the way that Matt Murdock is trying to protect her constantly. She still doesn't know that he's Daredevil. So, uh, so both sides of his life are getting criticism from the only two friends he has left um, in here. There's another, just a tiny little touch, and I know we're going to probably again talk about this a little later on, but a tiny little touch from Foggy. When, who's lying in his bed uh, after being uh, after being shot in the last episode, lying in his bed and just asks, did you see Matt outside? As if he's expecting Matt to still arrive and still be there for them. So that's another relationship that Matt's torn apart on his own by not taking Claire's advice. So um, just thought that was a, a nice little touch. And again, it no, is, absolutely. Yeah. It's something um, definitely picked up on. I mean, I, I love that aspect of Foggy. He is still loyal to a fault. And I think I've mentioned this before to Matt Murdock. And also, too, um, protecting his alter ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet Matt doesn't seem to consider him. He he won't go down to see how he is. He won't just take off the mask and be Foggy's friend. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I suspect we won't see any resolution to um, Foggy and Matt or indeed maybe even with, with Karen and, and Matt um, in this season. I, I think so. this is hopefully <laughs> something that will push through into... Um, a third season I really do um, uh, but again they haven't confirmed a third season yet that's the I, bit yeah, I'm, I'm just like, assuming I, we're, yeah, we all are because I'm going there's so much to tie up but they remember, haven't confirmed it and that's remember season 3 of Daredevil should be the Defenders he is the lead character so um, so he will. They will get a loss. There's going to be 13 episodes of the Defenders. Sorry, six episodes, isn't it, yeah. of the Defenders mini series? So each of the characters will get their own episodes with their own group of characters. So there has to be some form of resolution with these characters, whether it's at the end of this season or whether it's at the start of Defenders, uh, would be probably most likely. Yeah, it should be Danny Rand who's the lead character. And actually, I cannot wait for Danny Rand to wisecrack his way around Matt Murdock and Daredevil. Absolutely. He is ripe for the plucking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Really looking forward to seeing Can't Iron Fist. Definitely. Um, but I don't, I just very quickly, I just close it. I don't think they will. I, I think, I, I think what we're going to end is getting some like unresolved issues that they'll, ch- like, you can't tie up three massive plot points in one episode uh, in in Defenders. No, oh, in Defenders. I, I know what yeah, you mean, yeah. Because, yeah. and then, only then will they decide if... I, I. So, we've got Luke, we've got Iron, and we've got then the Defenders. I tried mm-hmm. Jessica Jones, season two. Jessica Jones, two, yeah. So, I'd say they're going to hold off announcing for, until we get closer and closer to some of the others and then they might say okay after the Defenders you're going to get one more season of Jessica one more season of Luke one more season of Daredevil and Iron Fist and then we'll close it down or we'll make it Defenders 2 or we'll just keep making the money I absolutely (laughs) I think they're the same with like with House of Cards they may not renew it a bit after a few more 
Like after one more. After a few more. No, like yeah, one gone more. Into it. that'll, that'll be six seasons of House of Cards, which only ran for two seasons. But remember, in the UK, they can. Remember, okay, yeah. so. But remember, they can spin it out through the Punisher's own. Um, oh, and the Punisher now. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, in terms of that. Any anything hanging after after this season of Daredevil can come in with with the Punisher mm-hmm. show. There's obviously the Defenders. There's even potentially how integrated they they move some of Daredevil's aspects into uh, the Iron Fist. You know, we're talking That's about right. the the Madame Gao and, and the Steel Serpent mm-hmm. thing um, symbol uh, that was in season one. But I, I think before we go down uh, another rabbit hole, <laughs> Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is a question okay. uh, for this episode, because <laughs> I, I don't know whether we've seen something like this before. Is the fight that the Punisher has in the diner, is that the most brutal fight in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? My, I, I don't know, there was points in this uh, episode that I couldn't watch. and I, I love horror films. I have no problem with violent films. Um, but the oh, the scene when the two guys walk into the diner, beautifully shot opening to that actually when uh, when Castle is sitting beside the window and we're seeing the reflection of the Buick that's uh, that's coming to kill him effectively in the window. Beautiful shot to start with. It felt like a real brutal uh, 70s crime film um, or something like Goodfellas, uh, that kind of thing. But as the guys come in, the first guy is taken out with some non-lethal shots um, to the legs, to the arms, to the chest, but nothing that would kill him, no headshots, so that Frank can question him later on. Second guy is stabbed repeatedly in the stomach. Um, and then he goes back to the first guy and smacks him with the butt of the gun until he breaks his cheek. Oh, that was disgusting. Like, absolutely brutal stuff that we haven't seen in any of the Marvel shows. I know we've had brutality in Daredevil before. We've had a guy spike himself in the head. Um, <laughs> we, we've had a lot of brutality from season one all the way through to now. And I know we've talked about the darkness of that brutality for this show. They haven't gone this far before, have they? No. This was uncompromising, absolutely. Like, the repeated stabbing into, I think, his gut. Mm. Um, Even just the repeated shots, which, again, looked like it was into the guy's gut. That's right. um, At the start. I mean, you see the reaction on on Karen's um, face. She can hear all this stabby, stabby, shooty, shooty going on. You know, (laughs) metal on flesh, bullets ripping flesh um, apart, and you can see her like cowering under the counter, going, "Oh my god!" And I mean, her reaction to it at the end is just like fantastic. Absolutely, um, I think. But I mean, definitely, um, just the the repeated stabbing. I mean, there were so many headshots in this episode as well, oh, god, um, yeah. or potential headshots, and I was. But that caving in of the face with the butt of the handgun mm-hmm. was just. Oh, it's brutal. And then they focus on, like, the fact that his, one of his cheeks is, like, falling off practically. Mm-hmm. This was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, so brutal. Yeah. This is why the, the Punisher's getting his own show. Maybe, maybe. This is, this is something you do not see on TV. Mm-hmm. Maybe Game of, Th- Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, no, not even Game of Thrones. Come on, look, this is like, they, they, like, Game of Thrones just gives you a head, the, the, a decapitation. Right. This gave you, like, mutilation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, absolutely. that's the difference. And I, I think, yeah. and they did, but they did it in a very well-filmed way. The, the, as you said, cinematography, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, they, the, the, the shots were great. Yeah. But, my God, yeah, you're right. Like, up until this point, 
they they kind of shied away from the direct view of the violence. Yeah, I do remember a lot more in season one when we were doing our podcasts that we had mentioned almost every episode that there is a moment when you look away. Yeah. I think you were mentioning that, Chris. It was it, it became it became kind of a running theme of our points during season one, where it's like, and what was the moment this week that made you look away from the screen? Uh, I don't know whether you've had one of those so far in season the two. The hammer, the hammer in the kind of first couple ones. True, true. But this particular yeah. episode, this was like, I don't want to look back at the screen. This is this is brutal and violent. But I will say, and this is, part, this is the other side of my point, uh, I will say it was hugely necessary, um, for the particularly for the character of Karen. Uh, Karen has been on the side of the Punisher the whole time. She's been looking for him to get released from prison. She's been looking for him to get away with it. Uh, she does say, I do believe that, that you belong in prison uh, at the start of this scene, which I thought was interesting. Um, but she needs to see what the real brutality of Frank Castle is like. Uh, Blake Tara mentioned it in the last episode. Oh, you've seen loads of loads of shots of his uh, of the violence that the Punisher is like. But when you, when you're in the center of it, it's it's much worse than you can imagine. Um, that's the case for Karen here. That's what she's really seeing in this episode. While she did see Reyes gunned down in front of her last week, she knew it wasn't Frank. This time, she sees the real brutality, and here is the real brutality of Frank. And it's important for her character to experience that. Absolutely. Actually, this is this leads to one of my points, and I'm just going to nip in here and uh, and take it because like this was one of the things I really really enjoyed about this um, episode was uh, Karen's arc with Frank Castle. You know, she's really been involved trying to initially to say that he he maybe shouldn't go to prison or you know that he he's not fully responsible for his actions um, and. I just love the fact that at the start of this episode, Karen is given a way out by uh, Frank Castle in the car, in mm-hmm. her car. He just say, he just say to her that, you know, you can get out now. Um, because she's obviously the, I'm an accessory. I don't have the attorney client privilege. This makes me an accessory. Frank says to her, well, you can get out now. You can leave if you want. And she doesn't. She yeah. takes on the mantle of trying to help him, trying to, find the truth and it's kind of like i said in the synopsis she suddenly realizes in that diner just how divergent their uh, agendas are whilst karen would want to seek the truth uh, while she would want to bring the blacksmith to justice frank's justice is vengeance mm-hmm. and death and violence and killing he has no place here um for for the justice that karen uh, and Daredevil and Foggy look to 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 do. Um, we even see that um, again. It's echoed on the ship deck uh, with Daredevil, where he says, "Maybe I want this war. Mm. Maybe I want it. It's the only way I can feel uh, like I'm doing something about it. Your way doesn't work. Um, you know what are we going to do, Red? Uh, take take them in, and you know he he makes it sound as though this is like the 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 fluffy way of doing things. Yeah. Uh, his way is what he wants to do, and you know she is essentially used as bait. He uses and abuses her uh, to get um, this this um, this situation. You know he orchestrates it in effect, mm-hmm. and and she sees that at the end of it. Then once he's like caved in the heads, once she's seen the the reality of what he's capable of, um, you know he says call the cops, get into protective custody, and then he goes get away from this thing, get away from me, stay away from me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. 
Um, he realizes that he has used as bait and he's just saying, leave me. This is not your world. Um, and I love that arc within this episode. I mm. absolutely thought it was fantastic. This to me is quite frankly, one of the strongest episodes for Karen, um, in, in this season so far. And she's been really good throughout. So I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And one of the, one of the tiny thing about that scene, I love that as, uh, Karen's coming out, the breathing is uh, of Frank Castle is labored as blood is streaming from his face. Uh, I think that's just a beautiful shot in a way of, of, of gruesomeness, I know, but it has to be what happens when Frank goes after two guys and takes them out the way he does. He's a brutal character and it really seems to be taking its toll on him. But I love that that's, that's the, his turning point with Karen is, why is she here? She can't be here. She can't be around me. This is what I am. This is what I'm like. Uh, and she doesn't seem to know that. So I really like those touches, definitely. I, I'm going to dovetail one of my points actually onto this, which is that scene, but the, just before, mm-hmm. where the, actually one of my favorite scenes was the Punisher giving the wisdom on what love is. Absolutely. That was That's amazing. You've stolen a second point. <laughs> uh, but oh my God. Like that was, was great, beautiful. Wasn't it? Actually, this could be why one of that, that scene felt a bit more brutal. Is because he was like, this man is laying out his heart and it's all lovely mm-hmm. and beautiful. Oh, wait, there. Oh, he's just shot some guy in the gut five times. And oh, look at this, yeah. stabby, stabby. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it, I love, absolutely beautiful scene. It started in the car in, um, in Ben O'Rourke's car where he's listening to the, to the funk music on the radio. Do you know who going, that is? Who is it? Earth, wind, and fire. Of course it is. Shining E-W-F. star. <laughs> Yeah, EWF, the uh, the funk band from the 70s, an awesome, awesome band. Uh, but yeah, it starts out with that where he's in the car listening to the music and he says to Karen, I used to sing along to this with my wife. Can you imagine me doing that? And as, as I'm watching it as a, as a viewer, you're going, nope, no, I can never no, imagine no. you having a moment of any kind of, uh, of happiness. Uh, poor Frank. Aww. Yeah, no, I, I completely am with you here, Chris. Um, I thought this was such an interesting perspective on on love um mm-hmm. you know t- a tad warped so yeah no my point on this was just how the way he described that feeling of love it was so weird it's like do you only really love someone if they hurt you mm-hmm. it's a very twisted way of thinking about it but definitely very warped it, it's an interesting way and i'm like and he's like i give i cut off my arm right here i cut off my left arm right here to feel in that this restaurant John's, yeah to feel that for one more second. One more mm-hmm. time, sorry. And also then, obviously, the point that we, it turns out Karen does love Matt. But mm-hmm. she, and she's surely figuring it out now, which was a bit, okay. Well, she, she Punisher loves him. Let's call it that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in, in Frank's version of the world, someone that breaks your heart, rips it out, stomps on it, destroys it, is the person you should be with. I, that, I don't know. I don't know whether I agree with it. Yeah. It's interesting to see his perspective. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. It, it was such a, an interesting perspective. It kind of slightly warped. You know, he does say she was ruthless. She will never be able to hurt me again uh, because only those truly close to you are powerful enough to hurt you in a way that rips you apart. And that's kind of really um, what he's he's saying. It's the kind of person who, who um, can damage and break them, which is what um, Karen is saying is, is what Matt is, is that, you know, he's that kind of person who will hurt people yeah. and damage them um, because he gets too close, like he is with her. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I, I mean, I really, the- really good. And I think one of the other things as well is maybe... 
it just leads into the fact that while she's listening to this and taking it in, you know, he is still watching. He's always watching. And he's seen the Buick go around the block three times. Mm -hmm. And that realization that this guy can hurt her as well if if she's not careful in a different way. I love the fact that he's always got his eye on the mission. It's that military aspect as well um, that is thrown into this um, this kind of perspective, weird and twisted as it may seem on the power of love. Absolutely. I I love how Karen corrects herself. Um, Matt's a person who, who can really hurt you. Really cause you a lot of pain. Not like you, Frank, uh, in a different kind of way. <laughs> Love how she corrects herself there. But yeah, um, yeah, a really interesting take on uh, on relationships there from, uh, from Frank Castle. So Derek, what's your next point? Uh, for my next point, I'm actually going to bring in my, my only Easter egg for the episode. <laughs> and I think it's a nice little touch just following on from our Civil War discussion last week. Um, I don't know whether you guys noticed this. Uh, we have, we've made a mention of it during our Civil War podcast that uh, when going undercover, Steve Rogers uh, wears exactly his same uniform, except in a baseball cap, T-shirt and a leather jacket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's his colors. Baseball cap, T-shirt, Falcons alongside him wearing his colors in a baseball cap and T-shirt. In this episode, Frank Castle undercover in the cafe or in the diner. He's wearing black baseball cap, black jacket dark grey t-shirt so this is now a marvel cinematic universe <laughs> trait if they want to go undercover and hide themselves they put on the colors that they would wear in their in their standard uniform and just change them into a baseball cap and a jacket there you go that's my easter egg for the episode <laughs> but i'm not trying to destroy it this theory but what what about daredevil he wears a hoodie <laughs> he takes his, he's got his red specs he's, he's got, got his red, red specs, specs it's true okay so yeah yeah, you're, you got away with it it's okay the, the, the theory's still <laughs> just, I'm Thanks, not entirely John. sure that that does um, square the <laughs> well, complete Derek, the circle I should well, say admittedly um, Matt Murdock has never been on the run and nobody knows that Matt Murdock is daredevil so okay so, so well, Frank Castle's on the run yeah. Steve Rogers is on the run Falcons on the run, and they wear their undercover outfits, which are the same color as their as their uniforms. There you so go. So we'll amend your point to, to when they're on, on the run, and then it makes sense. Yeah, okay, I agree with that. So I'll amend my point in editing. Okay. <laughs> joking, joking. Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Okay, it was pretty cool to see the hand ninja scaling the side of the building. Oh yeah, yeah I was like, oh, that's cool, and there was practical <laughs> effects, which I thought was even nicer. Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. This okay. was the first mid-air rescue we've that seen. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Like I think this is the first one we've seen in any Marvel property. That's true. Except for Spider-Man. That's the only one I can think of in my head was Spider-Man. I know that's not MCU, but that's the only mid-air kind of yeah. rescue that we've ever seen yeah. <laughs> in the cinematic universe. But I love that scene. Hulk in Avengers Assemble. Ah, Hulk Hulk rescuing Iron Man. From uh, from the fall from space, yes. Good, oh good yes, Very there good. you go. Okay, but in the MCU TV side, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is the first and it's a different kind of oh, rescue yeah. because he's jumping out of the window after her, whereas Hulk is intercepting. Yeah. Got another one. Uh, Ward rescuing um, Simmons as she falls out of the out of the bus on Agents of Shield. I don't remember season, that. season one, episode four or five. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, that was when no one liked yes. Agents of Shield. That's why you remember. There it. you go. Well, Fitz was trying to put on his parachute. Ward steals it from him and jumps out of the plane after Simmons, causing 
the whole relationship oh, between yes. damage and Oh, yes. Oh, damn it. Anyway, that's... Damn it. Fans. Anyway. You'll remember that. Okay, but he wasn't swinging off a rope. No, no he wasn't. It was an awesome superhero moment for Daredevil. I'll definitely yes. say that. Um, which actually leads me to my point, though. Mm-hmm. We don't actually see enough of Daredevil swinging or being acrobatic. That is true, actually. Even Lego Daredevil swings around um, with his billy clubs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Lego New York. His fight style, I understand. So his dad was the boxer, and that's where we're getting more of it. He was trained by Stick and the cast, so he should have a bit more of a kung fu element. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's still got that very boxery movement at the moment. But it's slowly yeah. moving. But that's just the thing. When he did that mid-air dive, I was like, ah, that's why aren't you doing that more often? <laughs> why <laughs> aren't true. you swinging from rooftops right now? And you've kind of caught glimpses of that. Like when he scaled up the, the rail cars with Electra, it was kind of that kind of running. Yes. And, and in fact, I think when he... When he was Matt Murdock and he was kind of putting his um, his uh, his stick away and chasing after becoming Daredevil, mm-hmm. he kind of he like flicks himself through some railings and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I think yeah, we've not seen the parkour uh, Daredevil as much as we should do. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I'm yeah. with you on that. Good, good call, Chris. Good call. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. And I've got one that's in that scene oh. <laughs> as well. Claire mm. Temple kills someone. Oh yeah. Pushes one of the hand out of a fourth story window. Awesome moment, by the way. Um, I just want to think, I just think that in this episode, Claire Temple has now entered the Marvel Universe, much more yeah. so than she has in any of the other shows and appearances that she's done before. She's always been the person on the street that talks to the characters. In this episode, she gets to meet the hand. Uh, I think she's the only one that survives that encounter with the with the hand. So she's now seen the other side of the, of the Marvel Universe. She sees, obviously, the body of one of the hand that's had the autopsy before and has been brought back to life. Um, Matt explains the whole situation and talks about all that crazy shit that, they, that the hand are into and are dealing with. So she knows the whole story now. She's been brought into the universe. In the past, she's kind of been treating... Uh, our heroes when they're when they've been damaged or uh, taking care of them but she kind of gets a bit of the story this is the first time we've seen her in a perilous situation and very perilous she'd been surrounded by ninjas and um, if matt hadn't arrived when he arrived unfortunately she would have gone the way of luisa delgado the uh the head nurse that we've seen a number of episodes of daredevil um r.i.p luisa absolutely um but yeah i kind of like this for this episode that we're bringing her in to the mcu she's now left her job as well yeah She's going to be in Luke Cage. Will she be? Will she now commit full time to take care of our superheroes? In yeah, the, be in the, the actual night nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume this is how they they brought her. They're bringing her into the vault. She's off to Harlem now. Some point over one of the MCUs, I think she mentioned Harlem. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming I can't quite remember, yeah. mm-hmm. but we, we will check it after yes, this episode. We would need to because then. So I know. Okay, listeners, if she didn't, you can yell at me there. Um, but I think this is how she gets to Harlem, to Luke Cage. So she goes back now, maybe to to live or to visit family. So I think she doesn't mm-hmm. live. She lives in Hell's Kitchen, but yeah. she and she works in Hell's Kitchen. So it's probably family. I don't remember. She mentioned Harlem at some point. Or right, I'm making this right. up in my head. But that's how she goes and back there. We will make some move. It is one of the boroughs, so it's not that far away from, from New York. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, um, I, I was just intrigued to see the fact that she's been incorporated into the storyline much more. She's not just a sending board now. She's actually seen some of the stuff that Daredevil has to deal with. Did uh, I say she so had a moral code as she pushes someone else? <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. Uh, well, for good people, she does. Yes, but that guy is She was defending herself, in exactly. all honesty. But that guy has probably died and come back from the dead before. So it's, she's just is killed he the guy with the, the, the Y um, cut? incision doesn't explicitly say it it's definitely one of the hand that was taken out we don't know whether it was taken out by claire temple or one of the ones that was taken out by daredevil but he's dead again so i would say he's probably because daredevil was just beating on them Mm -hmm. um they would be knocked out i think um so i reckon it's the claire temple uh shoved the one that shoved out the window Mm -hmm. yeah that would make sense actually sorry one thing about that when he's when the hand ninja is opening up the window using that kind of you know the device that makes a circle, yeah. So he does that, reaches his hand in. And I was like, oh, he's being all crafty and sneaky, and then he just puts it over his shoulder. Let's go! And you hear the glass smash, and I'm like, <laughs> not so sneaky ninja. <laughs> I was like, sorry, just it was a random thing. It was like they're scaling really quietly, mm-hmm. and it's just that no one can hear us, no one can see us. He cuts in rather than break the window. He cuts yeah. it and he puts his hand in, opens the window, and then he takes that piece of glass and just drops <laughs> it randomly over his shoulder. Nice catch, Chris. Nice catch. John, do you want to give us your next point? Yes, we have the unexpected ally to Daredevil and mm-hmm. the return of Madame Gao. It is now so freaking weird in New York that she's left her tea behind and she's swigging whiskey <laughs> and she's moved on to the hard stuff. She's on hard liquor um, as she's swigging back the the whiskey. Things have gotten so crazy. And mm-hmm. um, I love seeing Madame Gow back in. It was a bit of a shame, I think, that given we saw the steel serpent symbol on the, the her drugs it would have been nice to have found a bit more about um where she had been i mean we at least assumed she had left new york after um she parted ways with wilson fisk in season 1 but she says here that maybe she never left mm. um i loved um just how she's now sees daredevil um, and she sees how uh, he's incorporated the devil into of Hell's Kitchen into his um, his his armor, um, and she too, like Claire and Karen, has an opinion about him that you know you continue your battle, but at what price to you? She yeah. she's giving judgment on him as well, and he does have that closing remark as he leaves that is kind of slightly exasperated from 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 Matt Murdock. Um, but I love the fact that these two, um, come together in this way that despite the drugs, the money laundering and the slavery, Daredevil goes, isn't that enough? They come together to fight this ghost, this elusive blacksmith, mm-hmm. um, whoever he might be, who is like taking out and taking down her interests, the, 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 the chemists, uh, the street sellers. Um, but I think the other great thing that links into this, you know, like stick, she says, but you still don't understand the real threat facing this city. So what is that? Is this what's in the urn? Is it Black Sky, uh, as um, Stick is talking about, or we think is talking about? Or is she talking about then more bad shit that's coming down the line, more bad stuff? Um, but I love the fact that she really questions 
his perspective on what is the real threat to Hell's Kitchen. I also love that she has no fear yes. <laughs> of Daredevil. You know, she sends away her goons. Um, there's no mention made in this episode of the fact that she kicked his ass last time that they battled <laughs> each other. Um, you know, uh, I like that. And, and, but I, I, that's obviously the reason why she has no fear of Daredevil. She knows she can take him out in a second. Um, this was a bit of a weird one. I was pretty excited to see Madame Gao back in this episode. Um, and this is what we talked about last episode. There was no season two confirmed when that was written and when that episode was was done. They were leading into the Defenders. Um, the episode had her saying goodbye to Alzi, saying she's going away to a place a lot further than China, um, is what she says to him. We now got a season two. We had to kind of bring Madame Gao back. So that whole thing that we had talked about, or the speculation that we talked about, that she was going off to the other realm um, where I oh, was. City. Yeah, exactly. Um, that kind of stuff. That obviously had to be taken away and maybe she'll have to go again and say the same kind of thing at the end of this season to set her up for uh, possibly being in Defenders. But I was excited to see her back, but I felt it was a bit of a pity that we aren't getting some kind of revelation about where she actually was, especially when she tells Matt, uh, maybe I was here all along. Well, we know you weren't. We know you no, were absolutely. somewhere else. Where were you? I think it, that's what I mean. It's really good to see her back, mm -hmm. but have they undercut what they did in season one a bit? Because some further exploration as to exactly where she went. Even if it's got multiple different meanings and you can interpret it like different ways, mm. the fact that she doesn't really um, explain a bit more about the fact that even if, well, I'm back, things had to be attended to because right. of this blacksmith. Yeah. You know, this is an important market for my drugs. Well, the only, um, the only thing she says is that New York isn't her only market. That's kind of the only yeah. thing she says. Yeah. So I think in that sense, for me, uh, I loved seeing Madame Gao back, absolutely. Um, I loved her interaction with Daredevil, but I wish they had attended more to her character directly mm -hmm. and where she had been and why she was back in New York, rather than simply say, oh, maybe I w hadn't gone away. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe I was here all along. I mean, that, that to me is a bit, eh. But um, I love the fact that she's here. It, it just keeps that continuity in the same way with Wilson Fisk coming back in. Mm -hmm. So, Madam Gao, I, I kind of agree with both of you. Um, it was a nice treat that she turned up. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it felt out of sync very much in that she's she's in and now she's gone. Well, I assume she's gone. Well, we assume. Like she, I don't think she's going to come in now and fight Stick or Nobu. Uh, I, I think she. I don't think she's gonna. I think that was basically she was there just to. She was a plot device just to take the plot a bit further. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't mind too much about, like where she was and stuff because we know she's coming in Iron Fist, so that's fine. Uh, we assume she's coming in Iron Fist because of the Steel Serpent Society, etc., etc., etc. Um, she is that kind of link. Again, we have to remember in season one. They were tying everything down. Absolutely. And they were just, okay, we'll bring her back every now and again. In other words, they'll bring her back for Luke Cage. They didn't expect to have a season two. So I'd say that's literally where it was. It was like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, we, we need we need someone who's going to be her rival. Oh, we've got a drug-dealing grandma right there. They should bring her back. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and that that is exactly how it felt. I do love seeing her back, though. Really, really good to see her. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I kind of would like a little bit of the explanation as to where she's been, um, some other connection. But yeah, it was cool to have her in there, and she does still have a great presence in the show. I must say, it's like they had with Melvin, you know, where he does say, "Well, you're protecting me," you know, stop coming back here right at the start as he gets his new suit, mm-hmm. like. Again, it's just a small little uh, entry back uh, into season two for Melvin, but there is a little bit of history as to what's been happening. Oh, absolutely. And, and that was just the one thing that was missing here. Well, I think me. she yeah. said, I never read. What made you think I left? Yeah, but we know she left as the audience. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's all I meant. Yeah. We know she told uh, Elsley, little Nesley, that she was leaving. Um, she could have been lying. I know old ladies lie quite a lot. <laughs> on that point, Chris, do you want to give us your final point? Yeah, this is a, it's a this is a quick one, guys, and I just want to kind of, again we're going down a rabbit hole. The guy on the pier said hello, Castle. He did. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I thought he was uh, Spike from Buffy. Oh, but I don't think it was. It wasn't, no. That would but be a cool cameo. That'd be an amazing cameo. Uh, who the hell? What? What? Huh? Mm, they definitely know him. Yeah. 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 So is it military then? Very possibly. I know we've speculated a lot. Mm. Possibly Simpson, Will Simpson from uh, from Jessica Jones and Frank Castle, and whether it's that military group that took him away uh, as to whether they are the ones that are going after Frank Castle. Um, yeah, I thought this was kind of, th- this is quite interesting that potentially that is the other group here, that blacksmith's group uh, effectively could have been the men in in, uh, in suits that we saw earlier on in the season. They could have always been after Castle to try and take him out as well as Reyes. So maybe we didn't get the whole story wrapped up in the last episode when Reyes explained her involvement. Exactly. But again, this for me is just like, oh no, don't, don't, don't wrap up this arc now. They can't. I'm like, you just basically killed everyone on the pier Mm. And there's no one to investigate. But, like, we know Frank is alive. But, like, in theory, everyone thinks he's burning to death in the middle of a heroin ship. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like, ah, don't... That's a good way to get him out of uh, of being followed, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, they think he's dead. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks just he's just dead. Just cover his tracks. Like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I just want to know, did he hear that? Did Daredevil hear that from underwater? Like I'm, I'm very I'm curious. Uh, again, it's another. I don't want this to be uh, a loose thread. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. We may uh, may find that out in the next couple of episodes. Definitely an interesting one. We may get to see a little bit more of that in the next couple of episodes. But do you reckon then that these guys that sort of surrounded the ship? Um, so there's two points here. Do you think they know Frank Castle from the Carousel Massacre, or maybe just because? Um, it kind of occurred to me that they know him from another time, so therefore it's the military, that it, it's a knowledge for that reason. And the second thing is, do you think that the guy in the ship, is it that kind of the blacksmith hiding in plain sight? Or I mean, I know Daredevil kind of really said, no, it's not, yeah. but uh, maybe he's good enough to sort of cover his tracks, both with his own beating heart as well as um, really... Um, surviving that encounter with the Punisher because right. he does do he calls these guys back he does yeah no I have no doubt that, that wasn't um, that wasn't the blacksmith it just, just thought I'd put it out there yeah absolutely no I, I, I like it because it was actually just a note that I'd taken which I'll just bring in here um, 
I love that this bit with Frank is a commentary on the fact that uh, using his methods can make you go after the wrong person. So the method that Frank uses is threatening, it's violence, it's beating until you get a confession out of somebody. Um, so in this case, it's saying if Frank beats anybody hard enough, they'll confess to anything <laughs> that he wants them to. So this guy is confessing to being the one that murdered Frank's wife and that he's the blacksmith. And it turns out when Daredevil is hearing his heartbeat, the guy's lying. So this is saying that Frank's methods are the wrong methods to use. Just in that simple scene, just before the conversation that uh, that Daredevil and Frank are having about whether they should go and use Frank's methods in future. So it's a nice little touch in the episode, a really well written moment to say Frank's methods are wrong. He can just beat people and get the confession out of the wrong person. The other thought I've just wondered about is that you know, Madame Gao is saying that this is the purest form of heroin she's seen and it, it's kind of, is it someone from his past because he was stationed in Afghanistan, which is in the real world notorious for opium. Interesting. Interesting. Like it's a huge, like <gasps> the general, but that's what I mean like is it, or or someone from that whole incident Oh, that's Maybe where the rescue. So that's that's getting. how they could make the stick not be the blacksmith, not be stick. Mm-hmm. The blacksmith is the general who we saw on on the 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 stand in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, I hadn't. Okay, I didn't necessarily think that, but I wondered whether it was someone maybe from that rescue, or maybe even the people fighting him. I love these points of speculation this late yeah. in the series. It's great. Or it could two, be the general. Yeah, two this episodes left to go. Really oh good. Really good. There's loads of options available to us. Uh, I've got one more point left before we uh, before we decide whether we defend the episode or not, and mm-hmm. it has to be about Stick uh, and Electra at the end of this episode. Um, just want to say I love the choice here, where Stick stands up, gets himself prepared for the attack that he knows is coming from Electra, and tells his two guys. I need you to go because when she comes to kill me, I need someone to keep our plan going. And she kills them first. <laughs> I thought that was a great little choice. She stabs them both through the back uh, in the car as they're about to leave. I uh, thought it was a great little choice. I don't know why. It just made me laugh. And then and then the car drive across the city yeah. to Matt's apartment is hilarious because I honestly thought Stick, since he'd lost his driver, had hopped in the yeah, car and tried to drive across too. the city. <laughs> that's worse driving than I would do, um, to be honest. But uh, it, it is it is a really funny scene in its own way as uh, as Matt's listening to uh, to what's going on outside his apartment. Uh, and hearing the guys crash their way across the city. Uh, but yeah, we've got a big standoff coming uh, between Electra and Stick. Absolutely. Um, really interesting to see if there's more going to be given about the backstory of Electra next episode as this uh, as this standoff happens between yeah. the two of them. We need to talk. I'm all rabbit ears. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens between Stick and uh, Electra. Um, so that, I think, should helpfully expand sort of this threat that's occurring really where Electra's loyalties lie. Is mm-hmm. she actually the hand? Is, is she um you know part of the hand who's infiltrated the chaste rather than being totally aligned with Stick? You know, so this will be really interesting, I yeah. think, to find out something here. It's one it's one of those intriguing ones. It's probably one of the biggest storylines for Electra that most Daredevil fans know is probably that that uh she has died and come back in the past um i'm intrigued to see how, which character they've taken for netflix whether they've taken her before she died and and maybe resurrected in the future or potentially this is an electra that has already been resurrected by the hand uh, i'm intrigued to find that out oh that would be cool yeah that's interesting yeah, definitely but maybe not resurrected by the hand maybe resurrected by the cast 
just purely because it's the hand that seemed to know about resurrection much more. Yeah. Um, that, that seems to be where the storyline is coming from. It's the hand that no resurrection and the cast are trying to stop them resurrecting all their bad guys kind of thing. So, uh, I won't, so it'll be interesting to see if that's the tack they take on it. But that's my final point about the episode. I think it's time to get into notes. I think it is. Absolutely. Does anybody have any notes? I do. Foggy Bear. Um, I, I love seeing uh, Marcy Stull come back. Um, you know, she talks about him being a sensitive person and that's what she loves about him. Um, and that, you know, actually really starts to big him up about, okay, they lost the case. From Foggy's perspective, it was a complete train smash, but that people are starting to talk about his, you know, his opening of this case and that actually... The, the case only floundered because of, you know, crazy uh, Frank Castle mm-hmm. uh, going AWOL on, on the stand. Um, and I love the fact that potentially setting up of a meeting, will this be Jerry Hogarth or at least yeah, her firm? Yeah. Um, so that's a cool little cross uh, cool, over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I really like that. Um, and I must say, I'm really liking... Uh, Marcy Stahl, every time she just pops into the, the episodes or, or this season, uh, with Foggy, um, it's nice to see that Foggy has got this kind of companion, uh, and I, I hope to see more of them together. And of course, she brings him, um, some more whiskey. As mm-hmm. I say, they're all getting drunk. Things have gone to shit <laughs> so badly in, uh, Hell's Kitchen. Absolutely. And um, that it's like, it's, it's whiskey time. Right. Um, in terms of whiskey watch, I don't know what brand it was, but it was in a flag and, and no doubt it's just necked onto the bed covers in Absolutely. the hospital. Uh, speaking of getting drunk, I did like uh, Foggy's comment to her that bad things happen in threes. Uh, first I lose the case, then I get shot. Uh, next I'll be told that Josie's bar is burnt down. Yeah. <laughs> I love that that's the first place it goes to. It's not like a family member will die, it's that Josie's bar will burn down, you know? Yeah, really cool to see Marcy back uh, in this episode. Didn't he always say that Marcy was bad for him? Yes. Like so, that's I'm like I'm kind of going. Uh... But maybe he subscribes to the Frank Castle version of love, Chris. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Frank Castle writes a, a book on love, a, like a love book. That would be amazing. It'd be like Twilight, but actually her. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the vampires actually eat you. <laughs> less sparkle uh, and more glistening from from blood. fresh blood. Yeah, exactly. I've just got a couple of little notes about the episode myself. Um, did anybody find that that comment from Matt pretty weird when he's talking to Madame Gao where he says, um, I could get a hundred cops here in an hour? Yeah. Like an hour to get a hundred cops in the middle of New York to a place in New York. That just seems like really, really poor um, police response time to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but it's a hundred. But in an hour, it's not like, you know, well, I could have them here in three minutes. She's like, I could clear out my whole operation in an hour before the cops arrive. But that's that's fine. Been the hour. I didn't think about the hundred cops part, but I just said, I can have someone here in an hour. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Like, not really a threat. I'm like, yeah, I, I could have them here in three days, maybe. <laughs> Uh, if there's nothing else going and on. And if you file out the paperwork, you know. <laughs> exactly. With one with one letter, he's able to stop Vanessa coming back. But it's going to mm-hmm. take him an hour to get other people. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. Uh, another another note for the episode, a great touch when, uh, when the discussion between Matt and Frank about whether uh, Daredevil will use Frank's methods. Uh, did you notice he blessed himself before saying he would agree with Frank's yeah. methods in future? Oh, yeah. Um, that's a great little moment. Just just to keep the character yeah. tied into the Catholicism that he does still believe in. So nice little touch there. I thought that was a bit cheesy, personally. But anyway, that's just me. I'd just expect that from the character of Matt Murdock. Um, 
I just thought that was a bit cheesy. I, I think he, every time he hits uh, people, you know, that he would do the same kind of thing because he's he's hurting one of God's innocent creatures. Like, so I found that slightly cheesy. I have to say, it's like um, I did take one of the best comedy taxi drives from Dublin Airport once, where uh, the taxi driver. Um, kept blessing himself every time uh, he swore or, 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 or passed comments about people on the side of the road. Um, that was hilarious. This seems slightly um, out of sync with the scene for me. Okay. I, I don't know. It just it just reminds me of things that my mom would say. It's like, oh, bless me and forgive me for saying this, but it's kind of a, a really, it's a really Irish Catholic maybe. That's why, why I've got it in my head, but it's a really Irish Catholic way of, of doing things. You kind of go, well, I'm about to say something awful. Let me just bless myself before I say it kind of thing. Um, but nice little touch there for me. Um, final one for me is the major anonymous donation to the hospital that, that uh, silences what happened, what actually happened with the hand attack. Uh, really interesting is is this the fact that the hand have huge resources have they bought off the administration of the hospital here so they'll cover it up is it somebody else that has an interest in keeping this quiet um, I just thought that was a really interesting little comment in the background there Yeah. so on that note Chris do you defend this episode of Daredevil um, I do I do I, I'm, yeah yeah I do uh, 380 brought the Punisher and Daredevil kind of back together for the first time since episode 4 you want to say yeah, that? That's like, true. That's right. Yeah. It it answered some of the questions that we had from the last episode, such as like who it was the blacksmith and not Fisk who was behind the framing of the pun- Punisher. So we knew that. That's true. But what stood out most for the Punisher is kind of moments of wisdom for me, which I yeah. thought like, and that especially in the stark contrast of like three minutes later he was brutally stabbing someone and throwing hot water over them. It was interesting. Um. And then, yeah, this I'm calling it, but the potential, the the really interesting blacksmith reveal that we think it might be, who I think it might be, because um, that's a good, great way of tying Matt, Frank, Electra, and the hand all together into one person. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, I yeah, I defend this episode, and I'm, I'm quite interested. I it's two episodes left. I really want to just binge them and go, yay! I get to know all the answers. Tough, Chris. Don't Tough. we all, Chris? Don't we all? And watch Penny Dreadful. Because uh, it's dreadfully great. It is. But So I do. I do. I defend. I defend this episode. So, Derek, you have to fill me in and tell me, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I really, really defend this episode of Daredevil. Uh, I don't know what it is. Just that brutality of the Punisher in this episode. Uh, really thought it was necessary to see that side of the character, seeing stuff other than, well, my kids and my wife were killed at the carousel attack, seeing some other kind of backstory to Frank Castle was really important to me in this episode, and also seeing him pushing away Karen just simply by doing what he does and killing the people around him brutally uh, was enough in this episode to keep me uh, really interested in seeing what happens for the next two episodes. But there's loads more, obviously, having Madame Gow back in the city, kind of cool. Um, just having that connection again, seeing uh, Stacy back, very cool again. Poor little foggy bear sitting on his own hospital, um, but really enjoyed that too. But again, another great development for Claire Temple and her character um, being brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, leaving her job in the hospital. Uh, very cool. And again, we got ninjas. What more do we want? Yeah. Ninjas! Ninjas make everything better. They really do. They do. 
They really do. John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I do defend this episode of Daredevil. I do. Um, I have to say, on first watch, I kind of thought I wouldn't or I would be borderline. Uh, But I did watch it a second time and actually I got a lot more uh, out of it. And that's why I would give it um, four flaming uh, heroin packs uh, concealed in a foggy bear uh, out of five. (laughs) Um, In terms of the whole intrigue for me uh, about who this blacksmith is... Um, again, like Chris, you have Daredevil and the Punisher going toe to toe, head to head. Again, um, I love the, the ladies in, in this episode, Claire, Karen, and the return of Madame Gao. Uh, all for me really just chimed nicely. Um, in the same way that Chris said, you know, the, the interesting and weird, um, and twisted perspective on love that the Punisher gives. I think that Karen's, uh, realization of exactly who the Punisher is and um, really really good and again all kind of uh, teeing it up for these last two and um, yeah it'll be interesting to see where they go um, but certainly the intrigue about who the blacksmith is and will we see um, maybe Bullseye as well um, so yeah overall I'll defend this episode of Daredevil well, thanks very much for joining us for this episode of Defenders TV Podcast listeners. Really good to, as always, uh, talk to you about the episode. We've got two more episodes to go in this season of Daredevil. And after that, uh, we're obviously going to be leading up to Luke Cage and obviously Doctor Strange coming in October. Um, if you want to share your thoughts about uh, this episode or any episodes of our podcast, just send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com uh, or join us over on our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. You can always subscribe to the podcast by going through our iTunes link, which is DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes, or just search for us on iTunes at DefendersTVPodcast or any good or evil podcast catcher. Just search for Defenders TV Podcast. Great to have you with us again this week. Unfortunately, sad news about Agent Carter, um, but we will be back next time with our second last episode of Daredevil Season 2. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for listening. We hope you've been all uh, rabbit ears as well uh, for this episode. Um, Been great chatting again, um, and we'll speak to you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. And yeah, though, seriously, thanks, guys. And keep keep all any theories that you have and that you know potentially could be true. And what now that we don't have Agent Carter or Most Wanted, what would you like to see? Doctor Strange leading to October 2016. I That's know I everything leads to Doctor Strange, but if you couldn't see Doctor Strange, then the trailer for Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And maybe, listeners, what would you like us to cover after Doctor Strange and Luke Cage are finished? Any dreadful. On that note, thanks so much for listening, guys. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye. Um, this was one of the things I absolutely loved about this episode was, was Karen's um, arc with Frank Castle. Um, I really, really... I'm here. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm trying to put my sock on while listening at the same time. My feet, I'm just wondering, are you okay? My, like, feet, oh, my feet got cold, and I'm like, okay, I'm listening. What, what with the screaming in the last episode, and now this episode, the, the, it's all gone quiet from Chris. This like, is Chris really is bad Do we continue place. podcasting? Or <laughs> it's a, if I ever do, I come back, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> 
keeps that continuity in the same way with Wilson Fisk coming back in, and mm-hmm. um, the same way with Naboo. It's a great kind of continuity. Yes, that planet from Star Wars is back again. <laughs> I mean Naboo. <laughs> Nobu. Nobu. Okay, Nobu. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, Naboo. I mean Naboo. Oh, God. Naboo. <laughs> Naboo, where Padme's from. Well, look, it's Disney. We'll have Mickey okay. Mouse coming in sniffing drugs soon. Like, it's so connected. <laughs> All right, let's um, go. And it's the same with Naboo being here as well. <laughs> Nobu. No, I said. You said that. And it's the same thing with Nobu being here as well. Yeah, I know we speculated a lot about there being the connection there with. Um, why do I forget his name every time? From Jessica Jones. Kilgrave. No. The guy who we thought was Punisher um, of Jessica Jones. Uh, Nuke. Patriot. Nuke. 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 <laughs> Patriot. That's a whole... That's not even DC or Marvel. <laughs> that's Rising In Stars. 2000 AD. We had Iron Patriot. <laughs> no, okay. Fleshy Patriot. I know you said Nuke and you always say Nuke and I'm trying to think of the actual name of the character. Officer... Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson. Thompson? Not Thompson. Simpson. Simpson. Well, Simpson. Simpson. Officer Simpson. 